want to read Paul's writing that overlaps a little bit of our Hebrews passage. And notice some of the terms that Paul uses in describing the wonder of this one that was born at Christmas. He talks about uh, the glory of Christ and lays down like planks one truth upon another. And so I invite you, if, uh, if you're able, to stand in, refer- in, uh, in re- reverence for the Word of God as I read uh, Colossians chapter 1. Shall we stand beginning at verse 15, referring to Jesus now. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, Jesus, all things hold together. He, Jesus, is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's us, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You may be seated. May God bless his word, and shall we dismiss our children to their class And as the little ones make their way, shall we pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Father, for giving him to us. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel. That is the glory. That is the greatest love story ever told. And we're so grateful and thankful for it. We're thankful for Christmas in this time of the year when we think of the incarnation, the birth of that baby, Emmanuel, God with us, there in Bethlehem, born of the Virgin Mary, given to his stepfather Joseph to raise. And he grew in statue and in favor with God and with men. We thank you, Lord, for that. And for the public ministry at 30 years of age, for three years training disciples and being a blessing and offering himself as the King, the Messiah, and then entering into his greatest work, Lord, the work of the cross. He was born that he might die, die a substitutionary death. As the God-man, the value of his death is infinite. It is enough for any and all who would place their trust in Jesus. And we're so grateful and so thankful for you, Lord, that you died for us buried, and on the third day raised. The chains and ropes of death could not keep the author of life. And you came forth triumphant, ascended to glory, seated, exalted, and coming again. We worship you, our King, our Lord. 
Thank you for this day. For each one that's here, open our hearts, speak to us through the word, and change every one of us. Change this guy and everyone here. Uh, if we know you, to be more like J Jesus through the Spirit of God. Use us, Lord. May we live to give, especially as we enter into a new year. May we take inventory and stock as where have we been, where have we failed, what do we need to confess, and how can we better serve Jesus in 2014. We pray for that. And for any here that have never trusted Jesus, open their heart and draw them today. And we'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please uh, take your Bible and let's turn to our passage. This is the third and the final of uh, our Christmas messages this year, God in the Manger in Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, we uh, read the text long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, that's Jesus, and then he lays down a sevenfold description of the supremacy of Jesus, that there's none like him. Isn't that a beautiful song? None like him, none like him. We sing that, and it refers to his holiness, his uniqueness. And we saw that he is the appointed heir of all things, that through whom also he created the world. That is, God, through the agency of Jesus, created the world and the universe and the ages. That third, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Remember the flashlight? And that next, he is the exact imprint of his nature. Remember the coin, the flashlight, the radiance of the Father? Not the Father, but the radiance. It revealed the Father. Then the coin, the imprint, not the die, but the exact image. To look at Jesus is to see what the Father, if you want to know what God the Father is like, read the Gospels and you'll see. He touches the leper. Who would touch a leper? And that day, lepers had to yell, unclean. Here's Jesus touching them. He welcomes the little children. And such is the kingdom of God, he says. He, uh, he blesses the widow at Nain and raises her son. He raises the dead. He touches the beer going by. And her son comes back to life. You say, what is God like? He, he is love. He is grace. He is holy. He is wonderful. And we see it in brilliant technicolor as we look at Jesus. That's what God is like. Creator of all things. Glorious. Well, we'll finish the description today. Uh, he goes on to say, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification of sins, six, finally sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name, the name son, he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Well, so how, I asked the question in our introduction, so how would God do it? How would he do it? How would God provide the way of escape for lost sinners uh, without violating his nature, his holiness? You and I don't understand, and people in the street, the import of that, that God is holy. He's holy. He cannot look at sin. He can't. We, uh, we grade on a curve. We say, ah, oh, he's better than most, you know, and, this, and the problem is uh, none of us are acceptable. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, uh, even in a creaturely holiness setting. His is absolute and pure holiness. How could a God of justice and holiness uh, simply allow sinners into his heaven? 
Uh, it, uh, if the blood of, of a substitute animal, the blood of bulls and goats, could not cover and provide the reconciliation, then how would he solve? How would God solve the, the greatest problem of all times? It's not the theory of relativity. It's not the theory of aging. It's not some of these theories uh, that are out there and we wonder about. And, and so it, it is, is how will sinful, lost men and women become made right in the presence of holy God? That's the great question of all time. That's it. That's the mystery. And I have on your sheet, it seems like a conundrum. I love the word conundrum. Conundrum, might want to practice that a little bit. A conundrum is like a problem or a puzzle that doesn't seem to have any answer. Have you ever had those in your life? I bet you have. <laughs> There's no way out. There's no answer to this one. There's no answer, no solution. And it seems like that. God in his holiness, men and women born in sin and we sin, alienated and estranged from holy God. God who is just, this, it's, it's a chasm too broad, too wide. And so I ask the question, what would God do? And all of heaven, I remind you, with almost bated breath, is watching and waiting to see what God would do. That's what Peter refers to in his epistles. The angels are, are peering in and watching all this drama. The narrative of what God is writing to see how God is going to do this. And I dare say they know his absolute holiness and purity more than we can, can even grasp. Well, God's wonderful answer uh, to the seemingly impossible situation was the sending of his own son, born of the Virgin Mary, and we celebrate that at Christmas. The angels announce that his name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Well, the writer of Hebrews presents the supremacy of Jesus, and to do this, he begins the letter describing the glory and the wonder of Jesus, announcing to all that there is none, none, none like him. He's not one of a number. He's not one of, a, of, of two. He's, there's no twin. It, he, is, he stands unique, above all. And the sevenfold description that he gives, and we uh, just read, uh, of the sublime glory of this one born ought to move you in your day-to-day -day life and us corporately to worship only him, for only he is worthy. Mark alluded to the book of Revelation in his, in his section here, and that's right. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and praise. He alone is worthy. You know, all people worship. Uh, you know, we've said that before, that, well, I'm not religious or I don't worship. Everyone worships. God made all humanity to worship. You'll worship yourself. You'll worship uh, success. You'll worship uh, prosperity or wealth or prestige or, or athleticism or something, or you will worship false gods, or you'll worship the God that is. And only the Lamb of God is worthy of your worship. He is the heir of everything. You think you own what you own? You don't own any of it. You just hold it, and it's going through your hands, your fingers, like sand, right? Someone asked, how much did he leave when he died? The answer was, he left everything. The Lord owns everything, not only the cattle on a, on, a, on a thousand hills, and we love that some, don't we? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I wish he would just stab one of them and give it to me. You know, I need, Lord, please, right? 
the heavens and the earth and the glory of everything is his from beginning to end. And I appreciate so much, Ron, you're there. I, I told him that was like a sermonette for me at the beginning, that the proper perspective of the glory of the creation, and then like, how big is your problem really? I mean, when you, you put it in a, 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 some kind of setting like the enormity of the creation and, and the billions of galaxies and the billions of stars in each one of them, now how big's your problem? You're like, we disappear, you know, uh, and, and, uh, and so on. So uh, he is the heir, he's the creator, uh, he's the radiance, that's the light, he's the exact image, that's the coin, the image of the Father. And now three more. Notice our text in verse 3. <clears throat> we find that Jesus sustains the universe. He brings it to its predetermined ending. In verse 3, the text says, He sustains all things by, here's the agency, the word of his power. All things. All things. That's pretty inclusive. A hundred billion galaxies with over a hundred billion stars. Imagine that. Have you ever seen a mother with little children scurrying all over? For most men, it just like boggles our minds as how a mother can keep sort of control and organization and all of that with three or four toddlers, maybe five. You know, like most men are like, I need a chair to sit down. This is, this is like, I can't, I can't function, right? How about a hundred billion galaxies? All these things moving with such detail and beautifully the simplicity yet utter complexity of the universe. And he holds it all together by the strength of his power. He sustains it. He, the idea includes what? A number. He's bearing all things up. Here's the weightlifter. When I was in high school, junior, I think it was junior high, I first saw the image it was in one of my textbooks, actually. I opened it up on the first, and I don't, I don't remember what, it, what textbook it was, but there's Charles Atlas, right? Charles, there he is holding the globe. How many of you have seen it? He's holding the globe on his back. And look at his bulging bicep. i got to join the weightlifting team, you know, to a guy. That, <laughs> that's, that speaks volumes, right? And I did. You wouldn't know it today, but I did. actually was a part of that weightlifting club and wrestling and all that kind of business. Here's Charles Atlas holding the world up. Well, all things means it's far more than that. I mean, we sing the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. I'm telling you, that's just the beginning. A hundred billion galaxies and a hundred billion. And, and the text tells us in God's wonderful word that Jesus sustains it all. He sustains it all. It, 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 he carries it. He's the grand administrator of the universe. When I was a boy, we played a lot of Sandlot football, and my older brother, Dale, he was a big guy. He was kind of chunky, and uh, we'd play in the side yard at the school, and it was not a normal day if we didn't come home with half of our sweatshirts ripped off and get a lecture at home and this kind of thing. No equipment, you know, in those days. <laughs> Played Sandlot football. Well, my brother Dale, if he got the ball, he was so big, there'd be three or four guys, uh, we'd be trying to drag him down. And he'd just keep going forward to the end zone, you know, carrying us and the ball to score the touchdown. Sometimes I think, here's the Lord, he's carrying the universe 
you know, and here's my brother with three other would-be tacklers on him, and he's still going. You know, it's like, who was that guy in the Steelers was like that? Man, he was the bus. The bus was like that. So most of you have no idea what we're talking about. But he would end up carrying people forward. Here's Jesus carrying the idea here in sustaining the universe, bringing it to its predetermined end. He carries this all forward. And it's much more than simply the world in his hands. And even more than just carrying it, he carries it to its, his predetermined ending. Nothing is left to chance. God has a plan that includes all things. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he's weaving together the great narrative story, the great love story of all times. And God so loved the world. And it's a story that begins, has a middle, and has an ending, and one day it will end, and we will, we will sing and rejoice and celebrate the wonder of the Lamb of God throughout all eternity according to the Scriptures. Nothing is left to chance. I have to say this because we live in a world that's so pagan in their thinking, godless in fact, uh, you should know that there's no such thing as chance. I hear, cha I hear the word a lot. Well, chance, you know, caused ears to fall to form on the side of man's head, and therefore he has ears. And, oh, aren't we lucky that we needed eyeballs, and we came out of the ocean, and eyeballs appeared. Chance, oh, aren't we lucky, and all that. Chance, listen, chance, that's the wrong usage of the word. And it, 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 the only place that ever exists is between the, the ears of people that hate God, hate his word, and are utterly confused. Chance is nothing more than a statement of mathematical probability. It's not an engine. It doesn't drive anything. It's simply when you're flipping a coin, the odds of 50% heads, well, what's the probability of that? 50%, what's the chance of that? Tails, 50%. And you project, it's just a statement of mathematical probability. It's not an engine. There's, we do not live in a chance world. It's not a chaos world. But we count on God's faithfulness and his mercy every day, don't we? Great is his faithfulness. We're already getting our calendars 2014. You already bought that. Well, that's a statement of faith. You're trusting the Lord to bring this, the sun up, as we call it, in a phenomenological language. Sun doesn't really come up, but the earth is spinning, right? A few more days, and we're going to be in a new calendar. That's a statement of the Lord's faithfulness in controlling the world that he administrates all things, the ending uh, to his glory. And so, uh, so this, uh, this is really his governance of the universe, his providence, and my beloved professor who first introduced that to me, the word history really is his story from beginning to end. Don't you love that? His story, and it's true in your life. Well, so Jesus uh, has all things, visible, invisible, large and tiny, things hanging on his arm, if you will. How does he control it? By the word of his mouth. What power. Have you noticed how puny, small, and frail you are? I mean, we say a lot of things, right? Have you ever noticed that politicians, they say a lot of things, right? Does it, oh yeah, he said it, it counts. There, it's, 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 in, it's in the bank. E.F. Hunton said it. I say a lot of things. I used to say a lot of things at home, you know, about kids, now we're going to do this. I want you to do this, here are the chores. And I go around and check a couple hours later, nothing was done. Listen, I'm your father. I had to, I had to introduce myself again to my <laughs> That means I have authority. When I say something, you jump. Uh, you 
need some reinforcement here. You know, like the Lord never had that problem. When he speaks, it happens. Isn't that something? The power and the authority and the glory, it's Isaiah 40. He speaks, it happens unlike our words, right? And if you want to see it in your own life, look at Jesus in the gospel. He speaks. And the inanimate creation listens. He's on the sea and the storm hits. And Mark 4, right? And in essence, he says in very common, shut up to the storm. Be silent. It's stressed up a little bit in English as it translated. But it's a strong denouncement. Instantly. Instantly. No wonder fear fell on the hearts of the disciples. A lot of them were fishermen. They'd never seen anything like that. Wow. Power in the word. Didn't have to do a dance. Hey, do one of those, you know, uh, uh, incense, incantation. No. When you're God made flesh and you're in control of all things even then and you say to that, stop, that's a power I, I don't understand. And it happens. And how about, uh, how about the sick that are healed? He said to the man that day, didn't he? So that all people would know that, that uh, the uh, right to, to forgive sins, I mean, it was an object lesson. He was forgiving uh, sin. I say to you, take up your bed and walk. Now, this guy, this guy was in uh, deep trouble physically, and instantly Jesus healed him. Uh, he, he, he didn't get any Band-Aids out, no peroxide, didn't do an MRI, instantly healed him. And, he got, and they, they were pretty impressed by that, right? And then how, how about the, 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 uh, the situations uh, there in John 11 with Lazarus? Uh, Lord, if he had been here, you know, our, our brother would not have died. And he approaches the tomb. He's been in there four days. They didn't embalm. He stinketh, the King James. He stinketh, Lord. Lord I, I, I say, Larry, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And here he comes. He's all bound. Poor guy had to die again. You know, how about that? We crossed the river. Lawrence, you got to do it twice, you know. That's the power we're talking. It's a power. We, it's beyond our way to think. And that is the Lord Jesus administrating and governing his work. We get a glimpse of it as we see him acting and moving in the gospel of his administration power. Well, what's the application in your life? He sustains you. It means he's sustaining your life. That means he's writing not only the great narrative, but you're part of that. And the stuff that he's weaving in your life, he's given you the opportunity to be alive today. You're born in the right family. Say, no, I think he made a mistake. No, he didn't make a mistake. And you're right here, and you're, you're just the way God wants you to be, warts and all, and we all have them. To live for this long or this long, or that's up to the Lord, too, for the skills and the talents and the opportunities. And then the, the bad stuff that happens and the good stuff. Remember that. When times are good, Ecclesiastes, have a party, celebrate. But when times are bad, there's the mixture, right? Remember, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot know anything about his future. And so it is the Lord that is weaving together the tapestry of your life in mine. Now, we've worn out Romans 8.28, but it's still true. For we know that all things work together for good. The good, 
To them that love God, to them they are called according to his purpose. So we can take comfort in the fact that God has this great narrative. Jesus is right in control, and here I am in my little world here, and God has saved me, and he's working in my life, and he's not surprised. He's growing me. He's preparing me for heaven. And, uh, in fact, he's carrying me many times when I don't even realize it. And it's all for his glory, all of it. That's the application I gleaned from this. He is weaving the, the, the strands of your life together for his glory and mine, and ours are we being woven together as a church family for his glory. That's the reason we exist. That's it, to honor him and to worship him and to celebrate him. He sustains all things by the word of his power, a far greater than Charles Atlas. The next uh, uh, sixth description is also verse 3. We find here Jesus provides the cleansing for sin. For the writer says, he, making, he made purification for sin. Catharsis, if you will, is the word. Carthetic. We'll, we'll sometimes you'll hear, not, not pathetic, uh, cathetic. Cleansing, it's a hospital term. You'll, you'll catharsis, you'll cleanse a wound out. You know, it's that old uh, mercurochrome and iodine they used to use. I don't think they use any of that. It's probably found out to be very bad for you, but we used to have to get that one. Get over here. You're getting iodine on there. You got to clean the, you know, you got to clean the wound, wound out. Peroxide. I don't know if that's any used anymore, but it, it catharsis. It cleans it out. And uh, what Jesus did here, this in his glory, this one that was born of Mary, uh, he provides uh, at the cross cleansing, our carthetic cleansing, a purification for our sins. That's our great problem. Again, I remind you, your problem in mind is not, you know, you're not tall enough or you can't shoot enough baskets or you don't make enough money or, you know, you got a pimple in your face when I was a certain age. That was my biggest problem in life. Or, you know, all these kind of things that we think, like, I, I got all these problems. I got a math exam. I'm, I'm not doing too good. Uh, these are problems. Yes, we, our greatest problem is that we're sinners and lost and born under judgment. And he made purification for sins. A, the writer looks back. He tells what Jesus did uh, because he writes after the resurrection of the Lord. He's writing the book of Hebrews as he did, the Lord did this, as the Lamb of God on the cross. Uh, he writes it using a, a tense of the verb that it was something done in the past and completed. It's finished. Nothing more needs to be done. Here he uses the word cleansing. And there are several words, you know, in your reading of the Bible that are used for sin. Harmatia word means like the archer shoots the arrow and he misses the target of God's holiness. That's a word that's sometimes used. Sometimes iniquity is a, is a word that we, we use. And it means dirtiness or, or uncleanliness. And it's another description of what sin does to us. And here, by talking about cleansing, uh, 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 reminds us that our sin is dirty, that it soils our hearts and ruins our lives if it goes unchecked, unforgiven. And it ends up making us far less than what God intended us to be. Isn't it amazing that God made us with conscience? We're not just material. 
uh, people that like to kid themselves and brainwash others that you're simply material, you're a biochemical machine, and when you die, they throw you to the ground, and that's it. That's not true at all. If you're simply material, you, you would not have a reaction of tears and utter grief where you actually have a physical response to a broken heart and you shed tears. Your body responds to that which is something more, the immaterial soul and spirit within you. You see, and God has given us a conscience. We see it in our first parents, don't we? God says, don't eat of that tree. You can, the goodness of God, you can have all in any of this, but not that one. It was a test, right? And God is so good to us. He says, you can have all of life and all that. Just not that. And, we're, and they're over there looking at it. And there they go. They take in need, right? And as soon as they disobeyed God, they felt utter shame. They felt dirty. Listen, uh, uh, shame is a good thing. Uh, I think MacArthur wrote the book, Whatever Happened to Shame? We live in a world that, that doesn't have shame anymore. It's gross sin hanging out there, and there's no sense of dirtiness or uncleanliness. Uh, look, a, a good working conscience is a blessing of God. It's simply an alarm system. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not right. It's not right. Honor God. Fear him. And you want to guard your conscience. Uh, Proverbs 4, 2, 3, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? It's valuable because out of it issues the issues of life and, uh, and so on. And here, this reminds us that Jesus provided in his death on the cross as the Lamb of God, cleansing and scrubs our hearts clean, as we talk about, uh, because the sin pollutes us and ruins us and makes us far less than what God intended us to be. Sometimes... You'll see the, uh, <clears throat> uh, we don't live in a, in a, a huge city, and I don't g g drive by different neighborhoods or go by different, like some, but you'll see on some documentaries and so on, uh, they'll talk about the terrible prostitution in the cities, in the drug cultures, and, uh, and they'll interview some of these. Some of you've seen these things, and some of you have lived from that. Maybe some of you came from that by God's grace. And uh, I'm always reminded when I, I saw most recently a woman, she looked so much older than what she claimed to be. She was like 32, had several babies, had some abortions, was a drug addict, prostitution. And it almost broke my heart thinking she was someone's little girl. And she was the potential to be so much more. She bears the image of God. And the ravages of sin in her life have just made her so less than what God would, would, would design and intend for her to be. And, and sin does that to us. It truncates us. It shrivels us. It makes us less than what God wants us to be. He wants us to live victoriously. He wants us to live joyfully. He wants us to live in his peace. No matter what befalls us, Jesus doeth all things well. And it's the cleansing and the washing of our heart. Oh, I tell you, daily, Luther said, uh, the Christian life is the repentant life. I know that way too well in my own life as I do the hard spiritual discipline. Lord, examine my heart and bring to mind where I've sinned. And I, I just kind of, I, I lay that before the Lord and, and say, cleanse my heart. I, wanna, I want nothing between my soul and the Savior. I want a clean heart. 
Oh, I sleep better at night and, 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 and so on. And to be quick to find, Lord, I did it again. I said that. I, I hate myself. Lord, I'm self-centered and selfish. And, you know, I go on and on. I've got to hang all my laundry out to you. But I, I do that. And, and the Lord, he humbles me. And it's, I find it to be such a good place to be. And I would want that for you to enter into daily, into the cleansing, into the washing that Jesus alone provided when he cleansed us in making purification for our sins. I mean, be it, it really means that whatever needed to be done about our sins, Jesus did it all. He did it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He did it. It's a finished work. It's a great work. And I remind you, it's the reason he came. There's some authors that write, well, he was a wonderful teacher, maybe misunderstood and got run over by the Romans. That was, that's crazy. That's, that's not the Bible. The Lord came to be the Savior. Look, the word Savior, the word save in Greek is sozo, and it means wholeness. When a man or woman trusts Jesus, they're not only receive the righteousness of Jesus that, that makes us legally right with God, but it begins to make us whole as we become new creatures in Christ. Wholeness. We become more what God desires us to be. We're not chained to sin, as it were. The chains are broken, and we go through the growth process. Two steps forward, one back, two forward, as God begins through the power of the gospel in us to change us and make us ready for heaven. That's the great news of the gospel. Whatever needed to be done, he did it all. He came from heaven to be the death of death. Look, someday if war tarries, you're going to be laying, dying. And if you're even aware of it, that thought is going to be so precious to you, my Lord Jesus. You gave your life. You are the end of sin and the death of death, and I hide myself in you, O Lord. That will mean so much, and more even than it does today, I'm sure, because you are soon to pass over the river. He was a great teacher. He was a great miracle worker, but these were not his great, greatest work. His great work was to be raised between heaven and earth, nailed to the cross, and thereby die the death that you and I should have died under the righteous judgment of God because of our sin. One man wrote six hours, one Friday, a death like no other death. He died a death like no one else ever died. He died as our sin substitute. And hear his word as he finishes. Tetelestai, Greek word, the victorious cry of the general when he sees the, the battle has, has been won. Tetelestai, it is finished. It was the greatest ending of that Ecclesiastes that we always say, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. This has got to be the ultimate expression of that, right? It is finished. His life's great work, victory. You know, when you think of great works, you think of, uh, I think of Christopher Wren. I've had the privilege to see St. Paul's Cathedral. It was, he called it his life's work. It's a magnificent cathedral there in London. Uh, unbelievable architectural beauty. I mean, it is gorgeous. Uh, and, you, you know, you wouldn't want somebody like me saying, <clears throat> you know, I think I can make this better. You know? 
I think we'll put a window and a door over here. What do you think, Mr. R Christopher? <laughs> and, and if I tried, there'd be a lot of people around me. Uh, and I'd be in deep trouble, and I probably wouldn't see you for a while. But uh, <clears throat> you don't mess up I, the masterpiece work. Now, how about Rembrandt? Have you ever had a chance to see some of the Rembrandts? Beautiful. I saw, we, ha we saw one time, he did self-portraits, and, uh, and you can see him aging, uh, as you, uh, uh, like a cartoon, if you flip it. You know, I saw that like that, where they actually uh, take photograph of it, and then they flip it, and you can see him as a younger artist, and then as he got older, uh, through the years, so that, maybe, John, you've seen something like that. But he's a master. He's a master. He's this Dutch Reformed, godly uh, painter, Rembrandt, you know? Um, and I've stood there and looked at them close, and, uh, and I never thought, you know, maybe I can improve on this. You know, you remember fingerprint uh, paint? Remember how, hey, wasn't that great in kindergarten? You mean we get to put our fingers into the paint? How great is that, you know, for like a seven-year-old boy? <laughs> Give me some of that paint. I'm going to touch up. Uh, no, no thank you, Mr. Zabolski. Uh, please step back. <laughs> You don't mess up the masterpiece. Well, the greatest masterpiece of all, the greatest work of all, was the, was the providing of our salvation. That's what our Savior did. And you don't add to it by saying, well, I can add to it, Jesus. You died and paid, but I'll add my good works. I mean, I'll be generous this year, and, and that'll add to it. No, it's not by any works. We only mess it up. He did it all. He did everything that needed to be done, and he sat down, and it's finished And uh, for this cleansing of sin. And I praise God for that. The last item, the last description, Jesus is exalted above everything. In verse 3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, the right hand of, of the Father is the highest position of honor in the universe. I mean, sometimes we think of the throne in heaven, but, uh, and it may be a throne, and probably is, but this really refers to his title. I mean, it is at the right hand. You know, we'll say that in, in, in life. We'll pick that, oh, he's my right-hand man. She's my right-hand woman. You know, meaning indispensable in that position of honor. Not that you're, you're a hand or you're right there, but just an integral part of the, of the work or whatever it is. Jesus is seated by position at the highest point, his, he occupies the right hand of God the Father in heaven. This one who had no place to lay his head. Born in a place that didn't even have room. Now sits enthroned in the highest position of the universe forever. He's the exalted one. He's seated. His work, uh, while unlike the temple priest, was finished. It was finished. Seated. You know, it's proper for great ones to sit and inferior ones to stand. Now, we know that in, 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 a, in a certain way in, in our world. Uh, when, uh, when someone enters into uh, a king's presence, you know, someone gets an audience with the sovereign of the country, the king sits, if he's sitting 
in his uh, appropriate room on his throne or whatever, he doesn't rise. The underling comes and stands. And we understand what that is. Uh, we do that. We see that in our courts of law. Uh, if you've had occasion to have business in the courts, right? Uh, all stand. When, the, when your honor so-and-so presides. And we all stand up, right? We honor the honorable judge. Why? He represents the law. That's what he represents. And so in re respect for the law, which he embodies, we underlings, we stand up. Well, in heaven, he's seated. His work is finished. Uh, all others will stand before him and, and then end up on their face, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those that use his name in a wicked way today, and people will swear and use that name, which is above all names. There is coming a day when they will be on their face after having stood before him, and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is King of kings and Lord of all. Well, what's this mean to us? What does this mean then? Notice the order. Servant first, then rules and reigns. And that is important for us. We are servants of Jesus Christ. We are living sacrifice. Today is not the day of ruling and reigning and being served, you see. The Corinthians had it wrong. Paul mockingly says, oh, you already reign. Because they had this goofy idea that somehow they were not servants. Today, you and I, if you know Jesus, we are to serve him with our hearts and our lives in all that we have, our talents, our treasury, all of it. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And someday he will allow us to rule and reign with him. But not today. Not today. Today is not that day. In fact, uh, someone said it so well, if he is not lord uh, of all of your life, king of all of your life, lord of all of your life, he is not lord at all. I think that's right. And I think that should cause each one of us to, to examine our hearts quietly before the Lord. Say, Lord, are you Lord of every area of my life? My time. Even the way we say that. My time. Right? My money. My possession. Is, is he Lord of all? He has just loaned these things to you? And time is probably the most precious. And the other... If he is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. I would challenge you to repent and confess and come back and begin this year. Lord, you're the exalted one in my life. And say with John, you must increase, Lord. I must decrease. I pray that so often in my own life. Quickly, lessons for our life and we'll be done. Number one, know that the world is not a world of chaos. Be remember that. It's not, it may seem like it, like, this is crazy. You'll read the headlines in DC, you go like, that is nutty land, you know, <laughs> like, it, but it's not. God is weaving together in and around and about and bringing to his proper ending. It is his story, it had a beginning, a middle, and an ending, and we're getting real near the endings, I, I would say, amen? I really think that. It's not a world of chaos out of control. It is governed by the Lord Jesus, 
who will bring it to its predetermined end on that day that was determined before the world began. And shall I say, it's right on schedule. You and I run behind schedule, right? Don't we? Oh, I'm behind again. Oh, <laughs> don't talk quick. I got to go, you know. <laughs> right on schedule. And you know, the Lord's not like hurrying around like we're kind of nutty, especially this time of year. Oh, the traffic. Oh, I can't get <laughs> Right on schedule. So remember that, know that, worship him. Number two, thank the Lord uh, Jesus who has provided the cleansing that, the, that your sin enslaved, my sin enslaved heart desperately needed. Thank him for washing your heart from all sin and giving you a clean heart. What a great gift. Uh, no longer haunted by the evil things that we've said and done. I mean, how many sins do you think you committed in your life? I've asked that before. You think you committed a hundred? Really? How about a thousand? Well, really? Now, how about a thousand to the what? The 25 power? What's that mean? I don't know. A lot of zeros <laughs> with a one in front of it. He cleanses our heart of all the sin, all of it. And don't you love that old gospel song? Gone, 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 gone. All my sins are gone. I deserve hell, but he treats me like that. It's the glory of the gospel. Praise God for a clean heart. Number three, don't even try to add anything to Jesus' sacrifice for sin. He did it all. All that was necessary to care for your sin problem mine. Don't try to add to it. It's like finger paint to a masterpiece. You're going to mess it up. Don't even try. It's a finished work. Praise God for that. Number four, recognize that Jesus is your king of your calendar, your day timer, your checkbook, your hymn book, your assets, everything is his given to you to be used for his glory and ministry. That's it. And you correct me if I'm wrong. I stand by the scriptures in that. And he is to be gloriously honored as the one on high. Today and finally, I invite you, Jesus calls all and any who have never received him to be saved. Will you, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner I receive you as my Lord and as my God. Thank you for dying for me. You pray a sinner's prayer like that, God will save you. And begin the journey that you will live for him and serve him. And heaven awaits. And the best is yet to come. It is. It's not a new year. Although it's nice to have new beginnings. The best is yet to come. You ain't seen nothing yet. With apologies to my English teacher. God in the manger. Let's stand and be dismissed, shall we? Father, thank you so much for the wonder of this passage. And may we never, Lord, get over the wonder of Jesus, who saves sinful men and women like us for your glory and your purpose. And I pray, Lord, that as we close out this year, we'll look unto you. And then as we begin on Wednesday, a brand new year, we'll look unto you and live for you, Lord, and say with John, I must decrease, you must increase, Lord, please. May, I, may we say with Paul, for, for me to live is Christ, and to die is great gain. Oh, Lord, I pray. Dismiss us with your blessing. Make us a blessing as we carry forth the gospel into a world that's dark and needing the love of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a happy new year if I don't see you.